We are well into the journey of Lent now and it's already clear to us that this is serious business that was clear from the first day, Ash Wednesday. But if it wasn't clear from Ash Wednesday in the Ashen Triduum, it became very clear yesterday when we learned once again that we are in a desert and we have an opponent, Satan, the tempter. So this is serious business. Today's Gospel tells us that not only is it serious business now, but it's going to be even more serious at the end of the journey on Judgment Day when we will either be counted among the sheep or among the goats. Either we will be welcomed into eternal life or we will be condemned to eternal punishment. So that's very serious. Well, then the question is, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? The, the great advantage of journeying with the church is that the church knows the answer to this, or the answers, uh, and has centuries of experience in reflecting on the answers and putting them into practice. So we can, we can ponder the scriptures, we can ponder the, the life of the church, we can look at the lives of the saints, and we can actually grow in wisdom about how we're supposed to live. In contrast, if you want to do a little reflection on this, you think about what other religions provide for their adherents. I mean, especially the pagan religions. Uh, every religion has guide, guidelines, how to live. I mean, that's part of a religion. And at the center of every religion is how you're supposed to relate to the divinities. So every religion has rules about prayers and, and rituals and uh, shrines and things that are supposed to be done for the gods. Sometimes burdensome, sometimes what we would consider just pure superstition, uh, sometimes connected to fertility cycles and, you know, in order to ensure you get a good harvest or you have another child, you, you do this or that, burn incense to this or that idol. So relationship with the, with the God or with the gods is always a part of a religion, but there's also the issue of how to relate to one another. And here religions tend to, I'm talking about other religions, they tend to focus on basic justice or basic, uh, not what we call natural moral law. You don't cheat people, you don't, you don't abandon your own wife, you don't abandon your family, uh, you, you treat people with a certain amount of uh, at least people in your own clan or family, you treat with, with a certain amount of justice. And so religions have these kind of guidelines for life. Very often they're more a reflection of the culture than of, than of religious principles, but that's the way it is. Then we get to revealed religion, starting with the Jews. And the Jews had not only instruction on how to relate to God and how to relate to our fellow man, but the, the Jews were told by God that there's a connection between these two. And we see this in today's first reading. 
The first verse of this reading is very striking because it says, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Connecting our behavior, not just with right behavior for social interaction, but with God. He's holy, and we belong to him, so we are to be holy. So it raises the bar more than other religions. And then there's a series of, of uh, guidelines about how to treat one another, each one of them ending with this statement, I am the Lord. So don't go stealing and lying and don't go defrauding your neighbor. I am the Lord. Don't be dishonest in your judgment and don't you know, put a stumbling block in front of the blind and all these different things which make sense to us anyway. But then, not only do they make sense to our natural moral principle, but I am the Lord, meaning this is not just something that you can tell is the right thing. This is my way for you. Okay, that's a pretty good step forward. You know how in other religions, again, pagan religions, the idea of, of what we do for others is, is limited. That's why, just to use a kind of an obvious example, why when Mother Teresa of Calcutta started caring for the poor in Calcutta, it was quite revolutionary because she was helping people who were not of her clan, not, they were not related to her, and they were not part of her religion or her culture. They were complete strangers to her, and they were suffering in the streets. And the religious and cultural attitude among the, most of the people was, well, that's their own fault. That's karma, right? I mean, they were bad in some previous life, and so that's why they're dying in the street now. Why, why interfere with that cycle of, of divine justice? And maybe if they suffer this life, well, then when they come back, reincarnation, maybe they'll have it better next time. But in the meantime, well, that's just the way it is. Well, obviously, Mother Teresa didn't see things that way because she was a Christian. And she said, well, here's my fellow man. Here's someone whom, uh, whom I am to love. And so she would care for these destitute, abandoned people. And you know, that was just a revolutionary approach. Still is. Okay. Now, I, I jumped perhaps uh, too, too far because that goes farther than this first reading goes. The first reading tells us, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Do, do justice for your neighbor because of your respect for me. Yes, there's a connection. But when we get to the gospel, the connection is made much more profound. Not only are we to do good to our neighbor because we belong to God, but we are to do good to our neighbor because we serve God in our neighbor. What we do to our least brother, we do to him. This is a huge leap. Again, Mother Teresa, since she's an obvious example, used to speak about serving Christ in the distressing disguise of the poor. Serving Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor making this connection from today's gospel explicit. What you do for this poor, abandoned person, you are actually doing for Jesus himself. Okay, that's clear from this gospel. Whatever you do to this least, least brother of mine, you do for me. 
Okay, now I said, here we are in Lent, here we are in the desert, here we are facing the opponent, here we are trying to take on the serious business of the journey of life. And what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to do this. And on Judgment Day, we're judged according to this, what we have done for our least brother, or what we have failed to do for our least brother. You see how challenging this becomes. It's one thing to say, be a good person, be just, don't cheat people, uh, take care of your own. It's another thing to say, what I do for this least brother, I'm actually doing for Jesus himself. The, part of the difficulty is, it's hard for us to see Jesus in other people. It's, have you ever tried this? <laughs> it's not that easy to do. It's maybe in the initial movement, or the, you know, when you wake up in the morning, I'm going I'm to see Jesus in everyone. But when you actually meet people, and they're all their variety, good and bad, beautiful and ugly, and people who are, have no interest in you, or people who are making demands on you, well, it's, it's not that easy to see Jesus in them. It, they're in, under a distressing disguise, sometimes distressing disguise of the poor. At least with the poor, you can feel a little empathy and say, well, here's a person who's suffering and I want to help them. But what about the people who are, whose distressing disguise is that they're arrogant or that they're just unpleasant or they're cheaters? How can we see Jesus in that person? And how do we love Jesus in that person? It becomes very challenging. And we can't see Jesus in other people except by faith. So this is what, this is what Jesus is putting before us here. He's opening our eyes to a level that we would not know. We would not be able to see. Now, another challenge, and I'm putting this before us because we have to rise to this higher standard, especially in Lent. Another part of the challenge is our natural tendency is to slip back to natural justice. So I will help someone who helps me, or I will help someone who's in need with the idea that someone will help me. And I will not help somebody who is, who might be scamming me, or might be cheating me. And that, I'll not take that risk because that's, misuse of, of my hard-earned money. Now, the, there's, a sort, there's a certain prudence here, of course. You don't, you don't give money to scammers. That's right. And you don't just give money to people who are going to squander it or misuse it or harm themselves with it, of course. That's not because it's not just, but because it's not loving. It's not the loving thing to do for people. But to say, I'm not going to take the risk of loving someone who's going to cheat me, no, that's not Christianity. Christianity, and, and this gospel says, see Jesus in the person who at least looks like he has no food, has no drink, has no clothing, is stuck in, in, in illness or in prison. Maybe he's lying. And you have to be prudent about finding out whether, what people's real needs are. But it's worth that risk, that possibility. Jesus himself 
is the, is the example we follow. Uh, he helped anybody who came along. Think of the, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. I mean, she had, she had no great reputation. There was no reason why he should favor her. But he is God and he's revealing the love of God. Or if you want to think about someone who's, who, who, who abused the gift of Jesus' love, think of Judas. Did Jesus say, I'm only going to pick people who I can really trust. I'm only going to pick people who are not going to cheat me. No, he said, I'm going to pick people who the Father has brought before me and I'm going to reveal love to them. I'm going to take the possibility, I'm going to take on the possibility that they're going to betray me. See how different it is than our natural sense of justice, our natural sense of, of moral demand? It's divine. It's a divine principle, divine law. It's very challenging. It's very disturbing. And this gospel, the more you think about it, is more and more challenging. How can we possibly live like this? Not only that, it's one thing to say, whatever I do to the least ones, I do to him. Okay, I've done some good things to some people. I got some credit in my, my uh, account. But what about this line? What you did not do for one of these least ones, you did not do for me. Well, that's a very frightening thing to hear because, gosh, how many things have we not done? We have a lifetime of not doing things. And the, the uh, people counted among the goats here, they're, they're taken by surprise. When? When did we not do what we should do? When did we not serve you? And that's what disturbs us all. I, gosh, when did we not serve him? Well, it, I don't know. <laughs> every time, every time we did not choose the good of the other, we neglected to do what was good for Jesus. And that's a very challenging thing. Now, I'm, I'm deliberately making it strong because I want to make it clear that we can't do this on our own. This is divine love. This is divine standards. And that's what the Lord is calling us to. He's not calling us to be good people, to be nice people, to be fair people. He's calling us to be like him. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as I love your neighbor. How can we do that? Well, with God's power. Now, this goes back to what we learned yesterday. We can't overcome Satan on our own. We can't survive in the desert on our own. And we can't love like this on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who drove Jesus out into the desert. And the Holy Spirit is the one who, dwelling in us, makes it possible for us to live on a, on a level that is way beyond our natural capacity. And that we know by faith. It's actually, it turns this very frightening, challenging gospel into a great adventure. How will God work in me for the good of others? I might not even see it. It's true. I'm, you know, we're, we're blind and ignorant and weak. But we, we can know by faith that God is at work in our relationships. And, well, beautiful, beautiful. What, what a beautiful thing that today I can be an instrument of God for someone. That God's love can touch someone through me.
And I might not even know. On the judgment day, he'll say, oh, look what you did way back there on, on February, what is it, 19? <laughs> look what you did for that poor person or that person who was neglected or that person who needed a little attention. Look what you did. Well, you did that for me. And, and we'll say, well, I don't remember that. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that was you. <laughs> and he'll say, well, if you did it for him, you did it for me. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, so I, I'm, I'm just trying to put some flesh on this gospel and say, well, this is us. This is our journey. We're journeying through the desert. We're journeying under the burden of, of, of being tempted and uh, opposed. And we live in a fallen world with lots of scammers and lots of people who are, are not out to do good to us. But we can rise above all that with the power of the Holy Spirit and live according to the love of God. We who are loved by God can become instruments of God's love for one another. And that's a beautiful adventure to live.